In this week's episode, we cover haunted movie rentals, kids in space, and crippling depression. It's more fun than it sounds, I promise. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. Can you believe we are already like knee deep into September? No. Can you believe that? No. It's insane. This I this year is non-existent. I feel like 2020 and 2021 have just like simultaneously the longest period of time in my life and also the shortest period yeah. of time in my life. Yeah. It's it's just nuts. I know last week was also September, but I realized today that it was September, which is how quickly <laughs> my year has been going. Um, I was like, oh, shit, we're doing a September episode today. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just nuts for me. But here we are. We're in September talking about comics. Yeah. Doing stuff. Living life. Being cool. Maxing, relaxing, acting all cool. Talking about comics, comics outside the school. And then a couple of dudes who are up to no good, they started making trouble in our neighborhood. No way. <laughs> Did you get in a fight? <laughs> no, but I apparently lost my script. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, <laughs> one of those dudes took it. <laughs> Sometimes... Sometimes being me is like getting on the wrong subway train. <laughs> you're like, I'm going here. You're and like, then your exit stops. And you're yeah, like, you're like looking at the map place. of the subway trains and you're like, you see the stop, like the sign that shows you like what the next stop is or they call it out depending on what subway you're taking. And you're like, hmm. And you like look for that like street name and you're like, oh, that's the pink line. I'm supposed to be on the green line. <laughs> oh. Oopsies. That's, that's what my mind is like. <laughs> well, let's hop back on the green line and talk about comics. First up, yeah. uh, we have a new one from Vault Comics. This is called Dead Box. Dead Box number one, written by Mark Russell, uh, with art by Benjamin Tiesma. Yes. So the premise of this one, it functions very much like an anthology, I believe. I think it's going to function like an anthology. We open on this small town. Uh, in middle America somewhere. Uh, it's one of the many, many small towns that is dying out. Yep. Not a lot going for it. People are moving constantly. It's considered like a dead-end town to the extent of, you know, people tell uh, the main character, like, get out of this town, don't stay here, you know. Yep. There's not like a school available to really get like a later education. There's not really industry. It's just... It's on the way out. The economy has tanked and the yeah. town is it, going with it. At some point had a tourist draw of like bikers and things like that. But since then, now it's just tumbleweeds and dilapidated buildings. And that's where our story takes place. Um, the kind of central thrust of the story is that in this town, one of the only forms of in entertainment is a red box, which they refer to as a dead box, full of a bunch of movies nobody's ever heard of and they don't <laughs> seem to exist you can't even pull up like imdbs about them what we slowly learn through the first tale and hints at later tales uh as the comic plays out is that these dvds might have a little bit of extra spice to them mm -hmm. uh they seem to be cursed to some degree a wee bit caliente. and play in parallel to some degree to the the lives and the trauma 
and the loneliness of the people in the town that are watching them. T, what did you think? I really enjoyed this book. I think, so inherently the main premise that we've been introduced to, at least in this first issue with our our first main protag, um, is not necessarily anything new. You know, young person ready to move on, go to college, live their life as being held back in town by, to the detriment of themselves because of obligation to family and that sort of thing. Heard it a bunch. What I really liked about this is that there is a little twist of something super different going on, but it's also that it runs parallel with one of the movies that is in the dead box and the movie that they are, are relaying to you as like a background piece is fascinating mm -hmm. <laughs> because it tells the story of a relationship built between humans and an extraterrestrial race way across the galaxy and they're striving to come into contact with one another face to face. And the trials and tribulations of the one astronaut they send to go on this journey. And it is so interesting. And you can tell just the plot is so fun because the very instance you're introduced to the like astronaut, you're like, this is going to go not great. This plan it's not great. <laughs> and the way that it kind of runs parallel to the main character that's watching this movie, it just, it's a nice, fleshed out, fun kind of horror y, yeah. kind of weird, supernaturally vibe. Like, it's just, you know, it, it does have some moments of real existential dread and, and depression laden monologuing, but. Yes. It's still really good. This is not an uplifting piece. Hell um, no. <laughs> but major props to Mark Russell. Mark Russell does a really good job writing a very politically charged narration. And yes. when I say politically, I don't mean right side or left side. I don't mean that he's taking a stand on that kind of thing. But he there's a lot of ruminating on the nature of the American dream and the nature of capitalism as a whole yeah. and what it's done to society and the nature of ideologies, ideologies and academia and things like that. There's a lot of that and it's really well done yes. whether he borrows the ideas or it's Mark Russell's own kind of, you know, reflections on these things. Very solid. It's I a agree. good read for the nihilists out there. <laughs> um, nihilists and cynics. You're going to love it. Uh, people who aren't that, it might hurt a little bit, but you know, we're in, we're in the time of, well, not time of year, but we're in strange times right now where a lot of people are looking for media that hurts as much as the world does. Um, it's true. <laughs> shout out Bo Burnham. Um, <laughs> thanks for ruining two of my days. Uh, <laughs> literally. Thank you. It was beautiful. Um, it's true. But yeah, this is not an uplifting piece. Very, very well written, but it is, you know, wrapped in late stage capitalism and the woes of that and kind of the th death throes of, you know, the American dream and capitalism and small town America and all this stuff. Um, that said, I, I love this book. I love I'm a huge fan of anthologies. I talk about it every time we have a new anthology. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Um, you'd think I'd get sick of them eventually, but nope, nope. keep them coming. Uh, and this one feels like it's going to be more like how I've always described ice cream man to people 
which is that it's not a horror book. It's a horrific book. Mm, um, mm-hmm. It makes you feel bad. <laughs> and that's the horror. And that's good. Yeah. The, the horror is your own sadness at the end of the day. Um, the horror is how horrible you yeah. feel. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, this feels like it's going to be that. But it's, it's a very creative way of doing it. I remember reading the solicitation for this one. I remember seeing the covers for it and the title Deadbox. And I was like, whatever. Here's another, like, random horror book. Let's see what this one is about. He laughed to himself. And then I read it about how it's like a haunted DVD rental box. I was like, how have we not had I know. a cursed red box story yet no it's like red boxes have been around for how long and no one's just i i'm always impressed when people find these like seemingly very obvious pockets of our culture you know uh, and pop culture and come up with a story that's completely its own it's like to my knowledge and you and i watch tons of crappy b-movie horror movies worst of the worst and (laughs) As far as I know, no worst. one's made like a ginger dead man esque red box. No horror I haven't movie yet. Seen one, and I feel like I would know. And there's plenty of horror stuff around like arcade games and things exactly of yeah, this nature. Yeah, especially but, with the prevalence of like creepypasta online of like I went to this old video rental place and they had this haunted game or haunted yeah. video or I was at a yard sale and I got a version of ocarina of time that had like the thing sharpied on it in red sharpie yeah and stuff like that you know what i mean like that stuff's so prevalent or there was that that uh arcade kiosk that drove people mad that was the government testing yeah yeah, yeah. like oh i wish i this would be the time for me to impress people by knowing the name of it but i can't think of it it's something weird, like polytonic. Or I was something. like, yeah, it's like polybus or like. Poly- I I think it's I think it's polybus. Is it polybus? That's so- look it up and yeah, let me know I'm about I'm to right. look it up because um, that I think that might be it's it. It's something like that, but anyway, yeah, with the prevalence of that kind of storytelling and like urban legends and creepypasta culture, you'd be you know you'd be forgiven assuming that there's some like beam and there might be like if there is, let me know because I'd love to watch it. But as far as I know, polybias. Polybias. You nailed yeah, it. Nice. I'm so impressed right now. Whew, I get to keep my internet weirdo card. Sweet. I thought I was gonna have to give that back to the guy who voices Homestar Runner. Um, uh, but yeah, I. <laughs> is, this, is this the blue line? Um. Yeah, but as far as I know, there's not like a cheesy B horror movie of like haunted red box. And We're so gonna I'm have just, to see if we can find. I'm one super impressed good. by by this book, but it is a, it's a very cool story. Uh, like I said, it isn't uplifting. No, it might get to uplifting points, but I don't think that's the point of this story. The movie itself um, has moments of being kind of funny and cheeky, but it is. Yeah, I mean, it's got some cheek to it, um, and it's got some humor to it, but it's not like you won't feel good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's. It's a it's it's got a certain point it's trying to drive home and that's and it what takes well. precedence. Yeah. Um, next up, we have a new book uh, written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. Uh, this is called May's Book. Uh, it's got his signature style. Uh, it just absolutely drips with his signature style. If you've ever 
gone through anything that he's done the artwork for and he's that Lemire's kind of had full control over, you know, how unique his style could be. Um, this follows a gentleman in his fifties who works for a construction company. Um, and he is spends the majority of the book ruminating on memories and the nature of memories, um, and the nature of holding on to memories. And while we only see kind of brief flashes of his life, uh, before now before the present uh we assume we can infer from what's told to us that something tragic happened in his life uh he lost a daughter uh he's no longer with whoever his wife was for whatever reason but we don't know what happened to her um but more importantly the tragedy that follows him is the loss of his daughter and namely in his memories he can't seem to find her face Mm -hmm. So he can remember his daughter. He can remember details about her and moments of her life. Uh, she died very, very young, uh, but he cannot remember her face. And that's a point of severe uh, sadness for him. Uh, and he, we just follow him as he goes through kind of his day to day uh, and experiences the people around him. We see him, you know, isolate himself and shirk off friendships and connections with other people. Um, and then the book ends leading into someone reaching out to him. Mm -hmm. And maybe his memories aren't as impossible to access as he once believed. T, what did you think? I thought this book was utterly beautiful. It's majestic. I, what stood out to me the most about this is because admittedly, not a ton happens in this book. And I, I'm glad for that. Um, what's so impressive to me is how Jeff Lemire perfectly articulates what it's like to be in a depression. Um, there's very little color. It's not, it's not monochromatic. Like it's not entirely monochromatic. It's not black and white. Um, it's not, you know, faded. It's, it's like a very soft, subtle, unremarkable shade of blue. Mm-hmm. And everything is that color, except for the instance of memories of his daughter. And it's this bright red, and it cuts the page in half. And that's what depression feels like. It feels like everything is the same color. It's like walking around in a fog. It's mm -hmm. like not being able to see anything, distinguish anything. It's all just sort of there. And it's monotonous. And, and monotony that just kind of drags you down and i thought it was interesting because you know the days a whole day or a whole you know several hours of a day of this man's life passed within one panel but then or one page but then the next panel is like it, this one i don't know why this stood out to me so much but it was just such an articulation is that it shows like a picture of his sneaker on the street and then like a picture of him walking and then another picture of a sneaker on the street because that just like repetition of life mm -hmm. and how it's all the same and it's so interesting because his style is so eclectic and kind of messy in mm -hmm. like a in a very organized way it's organized mess is a great way in my mm -hmm. opinion to describe jeff lemire and so the shoe doesn't look exactly the same but being in the same color in the same position on the same street it feels the same and so that's that's it that's this yeah. man's life is yeah. redundant and repetitive 
and monochrome and bland and unimpressive and unassuming and and nothing. Yeah. And that's what he's living. And I just thought for a book that doesn't have a ton of dialogue, it doesn't have a ton of action in this first issue, so much is said and so much is relayed and so many emotions are felt walking through this day with this man that I just thought that was so impressive. Yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. No, no, <laughs> perfect. Uh, yeah, the, um, <clears throat> you know, and he makes multiple mentions to kind of like the sadness that accompanies routine and monotony and things like that in this book. And the wonderful thing about Lemire books is that you can go in expecting a message. Like Jeff Lemire puts a lot of emotion and a lot of reflection into his books, whether it be Sweet Tooth, Royal City, uh, Plutona, various other books, mm-hmm. um, AD, After Death. Uh, and oftentimes those messages aren't necessarily him trying to solve a conflict or tell you how to live your life. It's just mentioning the things that happen and what it's like dealing with those things and kind of leaving it off on a like, I don't know what we do from here, but I'm game, you know? Yeah. I mean? Um, and you can tell this one is very much going to have that same effect that it's going to be very focused on repetition and the nature of memories, um, holding on to those memories and the value of memories. And is it, you know, good or bad to obsess over memories versus focusing on the now? Like what, what is the benefit of staying so steeped in the past that you miss out on things around you? Yep. Dealing with grief and dealing isolation. with grief, grief, depression, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of it here and there's a lot that's going to be, it seems like there's a lot that's going to be discussed in this book that uh-huh. we're being taken to class in this book, uh, for a very specific purpose. And so I'm interested to see what the overall message is, is here. And you really feel for the character. Like yes. he did a really good job giving you that, that empathy for this guy. Um, And just like fully spilling pathos onto the pages so that we're just grasped and hoping that he finds what he's looking for. You know what I mean? Very cool book. Like I said, drips in Lemire's signature style. That kind of like jagged, messy style that he uses. Organized mess. Um, And that just makes the moments of really intricate design really just stand out like he has splash pages of just these like very sparse intricate things uh and it's it's cool it's a really good read you can tell he's putting a lot of heart into this one it's beautiful i think this one's gonna go places uh finally we wanted to talk about a book called bountiful garden uh this is written by ivy noel weir with art by kelly williams uh, this is a book that is one part alien and one part space cases. <laughs> if you remember that show. Uh, we follow a bunch of teens that have been selected through some sort of program by some sort of government entity to be uh, the in charge of a terraforming expedition. So mm-hmm. they're being sent to some planet to terraform it. They are consists of six people, a military based kid who's like the leader, 
There's an architect, a botanist, a biologist, and two engineers. Mm -hmm. One exterior, one interior for the ship. And their goal is to go. The architect's going to go down, fabricate a bunch of buildings. The botanist and biologist are going to start making food. And then they're going to start terraforming the planet. Um, they awaken about 10 years out mm -hmm. from their planet. Mm -hmm. um, they only have about five years worth of food if they ration. They were only supposed they were to be only, awake for two they years. They were only supposed to be awake for two years on final approach. Um, and they're just dead over. Engines are dead. And they're hovering over some strange planet. We find out throughout the course that other expeditions have gone out and not reported back, and they'd been told that it was just due to the distance from Earth. Um, but it might be more than it seems. Um, they go down to explore the planet, and the planet is ultimately breathable. It doesn't look beautiful. There's some plant life and stuff, and they find some strange discoveries. T, what did you think? I thought this was good. I liked it. Um... I thought it was interesting because it was very much just like a standard spacefaring, trying to, you know, reach beyond the stars to save humanity type kind of alien-esque kind of book. Yeah. But the use of it being kids gives it just a little hint of a different flair because the way the kids treat each other and the way... The kids react to things happening is simultaneously very much like kids, but also very much like adults. Mm -hmm. um, like, it's funny because one tries to take charge and, and it's I think it's interesting because they all react how you would expect adults to react. But we give them more leniency because they're kids yeah. <laughs> like the the military one when they wake up gets like oh we have to do this to try to take charge and be really harsh and like like authoritative but you kind of see him as like kind of being a d-bag because you're like you're still a kid and they're still kids and maybe mm -hmm. you should be not so hard on the one who's crying <laughs> but then you think about it and you're like well that's exactly how adults would react we've seen it yeah, play and, out you and, know that's his job yeah and we've know. seen it play out on every other science science fiction space movie where like something goes wrong and one of the crew is like oh but we're gonna <laughs> and the like leader's okay, like okay. you gotta get it together and yeah. it's interesting because in that case we tend to side with like the brute force you gotta fix it. We, we gotta get this done we tend to side with like oh we'll get it get your stuff together but when you look at them as kids you're like okay stop being a jerk <laughs> yeah, true <laughs> it's just interesting how it changes your perspective on the standard tropes of characters yeah because they're kids well and at the same time it raises the stakes a bit yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if we had a bunch of, like, jacked-up marine types getting trapped on Just this harsh guys. planet, we'd be like, okay, wow, you know, they're totally going to die, at yeah. least some of them, but they'll put up a good fight. This is a bunch of kids, yeah. you know, and only one of them has, like, combat training. Yeah, exactly. You know, the rest of them are just science kids. Yeah. You know? And so it raises the stakes a bit, too. I liked this one. I personally, uh, I am a fan of science fiction that let's a lot of science be easy and space be hard so what i mean by that is like kind of like the alien movies how you know all their space tech is like real clunky and like hardcore and there's not like you know they it's like cryo sleep tubes and it's not like 
It's not like Star Wars where it's just like, I got to go to this planet now. Boop, I'm there. You know? Right. Like, I, I like sci-fi that lets space. So, like, in this one, we have, like, self-replicating meat that, you know, solved world hunger. And we've right. got, like, fabricating, like, fabricating buildings that are really easy to put together and, like, all this stuff. Um, but space is still really difficult. Yeah, navigating, you know? communicating. It's yeah, exactly. Still a pain like in it's still like, oh, we can't reach Earth with our signals. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's I like that. I like when space is still like dark and clunky and dirty. It's scary. It's scary. <laughs> you know, I like plenty of other sci-fi too, like Star Trek and Star Wars, where space is just like we we're in space. It's just a highway, man. And the mystery is like, you know, the actual exploration of different corners of space and stuff. But I like, uh, you know, I like more hard space sci-fi where yeah. space is like you get up there and even with all the technology that you have on Earth, even though you have laser guns and, you know, robots and like automatic science, like medical stuff and like cloned organs and like all these other crazy things. It's like, well, time to go to space. Let's hop in the giant gray brick and hope we don't explode randomly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's, let's pray we get out of the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, let's hope we don't just randomly get vaporized by any of the endless amount of things that could happen to us out there. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's the reality of space. Is like There's a lot of math and whatnot that goes into space travel. And most of it is really, really sound. But even like with the most sound thing, some random piece of junk could just fly out of nowhere you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and I like, like, in this book, they they mention, you know, based on all of the data I have and all of our maps and all of our satellite expectations, this planet shouldn't exist, so I don't know why it's here. Yeah. <laughs> and we know nothing about it. Yeah, I'm just, so, I like space being still kind of, like, dark and difficult and mysterious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, it is. <laughs> and I, I like sci-fi that shows that it's its own kind of thing. So, like technology on earth is like astounding and we've got hover boots and all kinds of crazy stuff but the minute you get into space it's like ah <laughs> oh no aliens going eat everything me. runs on <laughs> diesel and dot matrix printers um but yeah i i dig this book like i said in the beginning it gave me real like space cases vibes if you remember that show from nickelodeon where the kids from the like sci-fi high school accidentally stole a living ship Oh, and then yeah. they went around having adventures. Oh, God. Um, it's been a long time. The ship was alive, and there was, like, a kid who had, like, big ears or something, or, like, a big forehead or something like that. Yeah. And he was, like, the strong one and stuff. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember everything about that show, but it was a fun show. Um, I, I just like the idea of, like, Alien Jr. Like, yeah. kind of like Muppet Babies, but with Alien, like, little Ripley. <laughs> Like the backyardigans, but the out in space agains. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> babies first xenomorph. <laughs> but yeah, this one looks like it's gonna be cool. Um, and the end kind of cliffhanger of this one is really interesting. I'm curious to see what direction. Because I mean, once you go out in space, you know, you're like, hey, we're marooned on this random aggressive planet on space. There's like a laundry list of things you could run into. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, twisted messed up cosmic horror it could be like ancient civilizations that are caught in a civil war with each other sexy half-naked red women it could uh, be the grays or the greens the grays the greens it could be like the planet itself i mean we had a one 
not too long ago, Rogue Planet, where the, the planet itself is alive and wants to eat you. Uh, plant-based monsters, xenomorph-esque type, you know, parasite things. and time travel stuff. Yeah, so there's, like, a lot. I mean, you could go full... Uh, uh, oh, God, my brain doesn't work today. That movie with uh, Sam Neill... And it's uh, Resonance Cascade. No, is that? No, that's Resonance Cascade is from Half-Life. Uh, what is that movie? Hell in Space movie. Sam Neill. Event Horizon. Oh. <laughs> so, sorry for the peek behind the curtain of how my brain just is not <laughs> working today. <laughs> Event Horizon is one of my favorite movies and I could not freaking find it. But yeah, you could go full like, look, you're in hell now. You know? Yeah. Or even Warhammer does that. And it's like, demons in space. Yeah. Um, you find pigs in space. Uh, <laughs> space balls. Space, there's, there's big balls in space. There's so, there's so many options. Um, there's a laundry list. <laughs> also, who makes a list for their laundry? I've never understood that term. Yeah, I don't really get that term either. I don't know what. Did you, like, did people, when they went to a laundromat, like, right. write down... All of the things that look, they needed to take. I know we've been talking for like half an hour, but you're going to sit here and wait while I look up why it's called a laundry list. Like maybe it was one of those things that like, I'm going to write laundry down everything list. I'm taking to the laundromat so that when I leave, I know that I've got everything with yeah, me. Yeah. When you took your laundry to a commercial laundry establishment, though, you had to make a record of what you'd sent. Yeah. So that's God, that sounds horrible. So like if you took your laundry to somewhere where somebody was going to be washing your laundry for you or something, you would be like, this is what I'm... Three pairs of pants. <laughs> that... Two t-shirts. This is why I'll never give my laundry to someone else. I'll just do it myself. I'm too... I'm, I'm too and sometimes lazy. not even then. Yeah, sometimes I'll just, <laughs> I'll just... I'm surprised these clothes are clean. Are they, though? <laughs> They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, that's going to do it for us. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear past episodes where we do a lot better at staying on track and remembering <laughs> things, uh, you can find those episodes on our website at coveredbepodcast.com. Uh-huh. And you can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. TikTok is doing way better than the other stuff. I'm trying though. I did share the Mephisto Preppers meme, so get on <laughs> nice. Facebook and check that out. Yeah. Uh, so it, I'm, we're we're working on it. Yeah. There's stuff. And we will catch you. We're gonna be taking a vacation here pretty soon. We'll give you dates next week. So just keep an eye out for that. There will be a week where you don't hear from us. Um, but we will catch you back here for the next episode of, of Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody.